Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Stay tuned with the 2 of 2 We will begin a mass invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. It is now time for us to put Earth under our roof. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you will give you witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message to bring your people. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. Welcome to yet again another Area 51 recording of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. It's late spring, early summer. It's a sticky night here in Area 51. And we are the only podcast to guarantee that if you sit here long enough, you get to hear stuff. Uh, Lately, we've been hearing some really cool stuff. Tonight, we're going to hear something, you know, lately. Pause, hit the pause button. Rewind slightly. Restart. You know, lately here in Area 51, I've been real lucky uh, because I've been getting to talk to some writers and artists and, and people that I've never heard of before. And normally that that's cool stuff. And 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 it means that I get to give myself headaches because uh, I'm, I'm forced to read stuff a lot. Uh, And it's not that I'm reading for enjoyment necessarily. I'm reading because I'm I'm reading stuff from people that I've never read before, which means uh, it's it's like opening up one of those uh, one of those boxes you get at a convention. What are they called, Cam? Blind boxes. Those blind blind boxes. boxes, Yes. Those goddamn blind boxes you get at a convention and you can open and you spend like 25, 30, 40, 50 bucks. And you go, this could be a box of shit. (laughs) It could absolutely be a box of crap or it could be really good stuff. And lately I have been getting some of the coolest, coolest blind boxes I have ever, ever gotten. In the, oh, by the way, that was Commander Cam. Commander Cam, how the hell are you, my friend? <laughs> I am apparently doing very well in my job as to remind you the names of things. That oh, shit. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Oh, oh, by the way, thank you for the free pass out of Area 51 to go to that convention. Um, the Northeast uh, co- Comic Con. Yes, uh, Comic yes, Expo you went, says hi. You went to like your second Comic Con of your actual first real Comic Con of the year this year. Yeah, didn't you? although technically and the second. It was Northeast Comic Con at at uh, in Boxborough, Massachusetts, uh, and you saw our friend Gary Summers. And how is how is Crazy Gary? Gary is as fantastic as always. He's his usual Gary self, and I think that just pretty much anybody that knows Gary thinks I would it, agree that that's a very good description of him. He is did, Gary. Did his garish Hawaiian shirt burn your corneas out? 
No, not really. But oh, okay. then, you know, I mean, I, I, I have a natural resistance to those kinds of things. You have a natural resistance to garish Hawaiian shirts? <laughs> Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Cool. How was it? Oh, it was fantastic. Got to see some people I had I hadn't seen in a while, thanks to uh, the pandemic, and got to see some uh, new people uh, that I've never met before, and uh, got to have some good conversations. So maybe even some people will get to hear on the uh, show if I can, uh, you know, wrangle them on to coming on in the future. So tell me, for, from the point of view of of a person who uh, was pandemically quarantined for. God, 14, 15, 16 months, the way we all were. Um, how did the first convention feel? Felt nice. Felt nice to get out, get around people, have a you know, have a little fun, get reconnected with folks. And it felt good. It really did. It began to feel, I don't know, I hate to use the word, but maybe normal. Was there a shitload of shut up and take my money going on? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes, honestly. Um, so I'm going to, to, so if you see some extra charges on the sci-fi oh, Saturday no. credit you took, card, you took the area 51 card with you, didn't you? Well, you gave it to me, you know, <laughs> to buy presents for you for the 500th show. So I've got all sorts of stuff lined up from the con. I mean, Gary helped me, you know, he, he, you know, he had all sorts of stuff. So, you know, you know, we, you, you know, said just, to Gary dome needs presents, didn't you? Yes. And he did. And he, he just started piling it on. I mean, I had <laughs> to get a U-Haul. So that's what's parked out back, you know, oh, out behind Area 51, is that, that the U-Haul full of presents. So is that what that 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 uh, that U-Haul is out there? Yes, Aruni. Uh, what is the thing that keeps banging against the side of it? I don't. I don't even want to know. It's you don't want to know. It's it, 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 it. Let's just say it's it's a special surprise from Gary. Does it need to be fed, or are you taking care of that? And everything's taken care of. Trust okay. me. So if the police come by, don't worry. Commander Cam is feeding it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> anyway, back to the blind box concept. <laughs> We've been getting a lot of blind boxes here in Area 51. And I've been reading or or blind books to be more precise. And this week for tonight's show, I got the weirdest blind book I've gotten in a while. And let me explain to you why. Normally when I get a blind book, it is a standalone. And by standalone, I mean a book that is a book, not a book in a series, or if it is a book in a series, it is the first book in a series. In in a rare case, it will be a book in a series that may be the second book or third book in a series, but it is capable of being ingested in such a way that it's fine being read alone. Well, this week I got a book and it is the fourth book in a series written by this incredibly capable, wonderful author. And let me bring her in right now because I'm talking about her like she doesn't exist. 
Christy Cherith. Christy, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us while I'm talking about you like you're not even here. Hey, not at all. I, I've, I've actually, I was, I was sitting in the background trying, trying not to laugh at the conversation. Cam actually got to go to a convention. A I know. How cool one. is that? Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, New England has kind of opened up. It I has. Mean, New England is like at at seventy five percent poked in the arm, kind of, and uh, New England is kind of like at normal it's it's so weird we don't know what to do with ourselves everybody's walking around going into restaurants and maskless and looking at each other going you have a mouth what the fuck you have a mouth and i can see it it's so weird well and it very much is that take my money um it sure is you know oh. you, you think you think of just everybody They've been doing takeout and Amazon orders, and and now they've actually got a place where they can talk to people, and and it's yeah. So um, uh, we're getting to that point up here. Um, in in BC, we've got like a really high vaccination rate, but um, we still can't cross the border yet. So into the you know the wide US of A. So um, uh, but we're traveling in Canada again, which is good. I walked into a comic book store. Wow. Oh, my God. It was so cool. Our local comic shop. It was so cool. And and there were people playing, uh, like, Pokemon. And, and there were other people looking around and were looking at each other and were smiling. And it was it was so different. It hasn't been this way in a year and a half. Yeah. And it's like we're looking at each other like we're alive. This is so cool. <laughs> like a person. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> we're we're not sure what to do anymore. We are not sure what to do anymore. But it's it's cool and we like it. Well, yeah. I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna keep going to cons. I'm gonna keep giving cool people my money. <laughs> I want to I want to talk to artists again. I want to meet with artists. I want to talk to writers. I want I want to I want to talk to a writer at a booth and ha- and talk to them face to face. And uh, I want to watch an artist do a sketch. Holy shit! I can't wait for that stuff. I want to sit at a booth at a convention and have somebody walk up to me and go, "I heard your podcast," and I could look at them in the eye and go, "No, you didn't. You're just screwing with me. No, you didn't." <laughs> You know, I'm I'm looking forward to just doing things like I I'm I'm planning on taking this uh, the Sky Train um, into town this week, and I'm looking forward to it. it. It will be like the first time I've actually taken public transit in wow. a good well year and a half. Um, and you know, on, on one hand, I'm really looking forward to it, but on the other hand, there is this space this sort of um you know like your sort of your your space around you um that that's you know your your sort of comfort comfort space and i gotta admit as much as i'm looking forward to meeting meeting people again and going out and having a drink sitting down at a bar and actually talking to like authors that i know who i've only spoken to over skype and um you know 
uh, just just over a Zoom chat over the past year and a half. I like that two meter distance. I I, I kind of like having, or you know, just that sort of arms arms length distance from people. So I think that's going to take me a while to 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 give up. You know, like being packed on a sky train is not something that appeals to me. But having my own seat and having a bit of distance and being able to see, it's it's sort of one of those weird, you know, those those weird versions of normal. It's like a, it's it's like the through frosty nice happy glasses yeah you know what's going to happen you know what's going to happen being on the public transit is going to be one thing but there's going to come a point where you're going to want to hug somebody and you're you're not going to want to you're not going to know how to do it yeah you're not going to know if it's comfortable or not and then you're just going to go for it and then (laughs) the ice is going to break i because i I had the same thing happen to me, Cam, and you know what it happened? It happened in the parking lot outside the airport diner when I hadn't seen Karen in a year. And I met you guys for coffee, and it'd been over a year since I'd seen any of you guys. And she just came running up to me in the parking lot, and she threw her arms around me, and I said, that's it. I can't. <laughs> I can't not. <laughs> and uh, it's just it's it's amazing how quickly all of that just kind of goes away. Anyhow, back to you, because <laughs> that's what we're really going to talk about. So, I mean, you know. Our our mutual friend. The publicist throws book number four at me and says, yeah, here's here's a quick synopsis of books one, two and three. Figure it out. And and so and we we, still like him. Yeah. And we still like him and all that. (laughs) (laughs) And so we're, we're clawing our way through book four. And as we're clawing our way, we're gaining a very quick appreciation for it uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, Cam, what's the title of the book? It's, uh, Owl and the, uh, Tiger Thieves. So, first of all, we had to figure out what was the purpose of the title of the book. And we figured <laughs> that, that out pretty quick. And then we figured out who the owl was and why the owl was important. And then we figured out that somebody had said the owl was, if Indiana Jones was a woman... And then we figured out that this guy who does uh, uh, movie announcements shouldn't be writing your stuff. Uh, (laughs) Know what I'm saying? Don't do that. That's a terrible idea. Because this is not if Indiana Jones was a woman. This is so much smarter than that. And, And then I'm going, wow, this is a smart character. I'm liking this character a lot. And this character is really well written. And this is a really deep character. And there's threads of, of some deep science in this book that I'm really liking because this this author has got some, some nice grounding in what she's doing. And she writes with a really smart, intense style. And And so the first 50 pages of this book, because I don't understand... The, the the first three books, 
the first 50 pages is really difficult. Then the next mm-hmm. 50 pages comes a little bit easier. And the next 50 pages becomes, oh, okay, I'll be getting to get this, I think. And then you throw a little bit more at me and you slap me in the face. You keep hitting me and you keep bruising me. And 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 I'm really liking this. And I'm going, wow, way to go, Christy Cherith. This is a sweet little book. <laughs> I I have to say that when Mickey, so I, I got an email um, last week from, uh, you know, my, my publicist and it was like, yeah, they're reading the fourth book and um, could you put together a quick synopsis? And I went, oh man. Uh, and I just felt sympathy because of course I, I know what, how much stuff I've crammed into those first three books. And so I, I they're a little dense. A, yeah. Uh-huh. I, I sort of shut my eyes and, and sort of went, all right, what what can I do here? <laughs> and then it's end and uh, crossed my fingers that you guys wouldn't uh, wouldn't hate me too much. <laughs> no, no, this was a saving grace. And just just so everybody knows, I mean, the first one was Owl in the Japanese Circus. The second one is Owl in the City of Angels. And the third is Owl in the Electric Samurai, which I think is a far cooler title than any of the other three. But that's just me. (laughs) And frankly, they all sound like titles from Monty Python's Flying Circus anyway. So let's just get that out of the way. (laughs) You keep waiting for the Minister of Silly Walks to come through and it never happens. But that's just me. Um. So let's talk about Alex. Let's talk yeah. about this character of yours, Alex, Better because known the owl known as the owl. Where does Alex come from? Not not the character itself, but in your head. Where did Alex come from? Where does Alex come from? Um, I, I, y- the ballpark inspiration is, is a lot of, 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 of the, the 80s movies, right? Like, I mean, all the sort of fun adventure 80s movies that I grew up with. Um, but a lot of it, like the, the sort of short version is I, I do first person narrative. So, um, you know, I, I think the everybody, you know, every author out there has got to do their little elevator pitch. Um, and and so my my elevator pitch for for Alex, the character was, um, you know, an ex-archaeology graduate student turned international antiquities thief. Um, and a, a lot of what went into Owl, I was, I had finished my, I, I, I was in the process of finishing up my PhD in cell biology and genetics. And um, I have always had this love of, of just adventure stuff, but fun adventure. So I'm, I'm a big video gamer. I, I love games like Uncharted, um, you know, that just don't take themselves too seriously, like the mummy, the movie, um, anything Bioware does, I, I, I play and usually love, uh, with the exception of a few <laughs> games, a few, few recent games that, but we won't go there. Um, so I, I like writing fun adventure, but there was also at the time, because I was finishing up grad school um, and doing a bit of a postdoc, and I, I kind of knew that the nail was in the coffin of, of doing academic research. 
search for a lot of reasons, um, you know, that are sort of universal to academics. Doesn't matter what field you're in. And um, a lot of that anger that I had, um, you know, and or not anger, but frustration I had with the system and, um, you know, frustration I had with the system and um, things that I was I was doing, um, you know, kind of went into the novel and that was, you know, or, or went into developing the voice of Alex. And because I do first person narrative um, and, and that's it, it's it's kind of the way that I, I like to write. I had just at the time when I started writing the novel, I just discovered that I, I kind of had an act for first person narrative. I, I I'd had a lot of people um, in writing advice say first person narrative is is really hard. Don't do it if you are an author starting out. And it, it's sort of a it, I, I think that one piece of advice, it just started to sort of irk at me. It's like, well, I'm having all these people telling me not to do something. This kind of seems like it'd be a lot of fun to write in 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 the character's voice. So you're writing as if you're the character going through the story yourself. And and so I had written a short story and it was the very first short story I'd ever sold that was a first person narrative. And so I launched into Owl and I'm like, all right, I'm this this character is going to be an archaeologist, um, you know, turned thief. Uh, and and we're going to have some fun and I'm going to do it in first person narrative. Um, and it was it, it it ended up being a bit of a fun roller coaster ride for me. That that was part of it too. I know that's kind of rambling, but that sort of gives you gives you an idea of of what was going on in my head when I started writing Owl. Well, my question then becomes, how much of Owl was repressed you? Because it seems to me that there's an awful lot of Owl that's you getting back at everything. <laughs> and I'll tell I'm you a, what, and I'll yeah. tell you why. Um, there's a particular scene uh, in, in book four um, where Owl is angrily explaining uh, the Mad Hatter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yes. And just annoyedly explaining it. Here's why the hell the Mad Hatter syndrome exists. Da, 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 and it's and it, the voice as I'm reading it. And I don't know why. I don't know why this is. My brain is going. Christy's talking to me right now. <laughs> I I'd like to write that way. Um, I wouldn't say so. A, any character I write, because I'm doing first person narrative, there's kind of like this mental. Um, there's almost like a mental acting exercise that's going on. So where because you're trying to write as the characters talking in some way, parts of your brain are kind of acting through things. And a, a lot of it is, you know, how would I react if I was this person and, you know, or if I was playing this character or, you know, this looks like it'd be fun, uh, a fun adventure, what would happen? So there, there's a part of that. There's definitely a lot of me in all the characters because of course everything's coming out of my brain. And um, the green and the fluid and the arsenic, and it comes out so beautiful and so fluid and so a part of it is almost 
uh, I don't want to say lectury, like uh, <laughs> like standing in front of a classroom. But in some ways, it kind of is. And I'm thinking to myself, as I'm reading it, I'm going, yeah, she's teaching a class right now. And I'm well, being taught. <laughs> I'm being taught. This is this is this is this. This is the science behind. Uh, this is the science behind her work. And that led me to another. Uh, I read an article about you. Because I did my research. <laughs> run, Christy, run. <laughs> and this guy wrote an article about you that I violently disagreed with. And I got to pull up the article. Uh, and it was an article. Uh, that, and the title was. The title was a profile about you, and it said, Christy Cherish's science training lends believability to her work, which I agree with 100,000%. Um, and it was in author profiles. And then, as he got to the end of your profile, he blew it. Because he wrote, in Cherish's book, science is important, but it's never the sole focus. It's used to bolster the world and make it believable rather than act as its crucial plot point. And that and he blew it. He's wrong. He's dead wrong. It is the crucial plot point. It is the binder. Your science in this book, if it's anything like any of your other books, is the binder. It is the the bedrock that makes everything else real that makes all the fantasy that makes all of the the mysteriousness unmysterious because if the science is real everything else as unreal as it is becomes real and with you giving me this science lesson about arsenic and the mad hatter and the rest of that to make your point about this thing going on in the 1700s makes that and why and and why a hat maker might go mad and decide yes. to become a pirate yeah yes yeah. that it's actually real and that is real makes all the rest of the fantasy and the fantastic become real and yeah. at that point in the book I just sat back for a minute and went, that's genius. That's just beautifully well thought out, well written and well done. And, and that was the point at which I went, this is a wonderful book. Yeah, I would agree with that 100% because I am a fan of H.P. Lovecraft, but this is like the antithesis of H.P. Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft was... This, you know, you don't understand these vast, powerful things. You can't understand them. You've created a very, uh, this is what really dra dragged me in, and I loved it, was your fantasy world is so complete. And I wish now that I'd read the other three books before we came into this so I could know more about this universe. But this universe is so complete. And I'm going to try to grab something here. But like the, 
but like the vampires, the vampires are very interesting because I'm hoping this is not a huge spoiler for your entire series, but the vampires give off a pheromone, which people become addicted to. And that's why they keep coming back to the vampires and the, that's, and the vampires use that to, to bring people in and feed off of them. And this is, this is brilliant stuff. This is just, this creates a believable universe. It takes fantasy and grounds it in reality. And I love it when, when an author like you does that, it just makes it that much more interesting. Be, because of my training, it, it, it's impossible for me not to put the science in there because every time I'm writing something, um, I, I, I have a, you know, a, a deep love for urban fantasy and, um, you know, all, all those adventure movies. But I'm always trying to think of a way to explain it with something somewhat plausible. Um, and when I can, I, I, I think that makes good urban fantasy. And I, I, I've kind of talked about this before where urban fantasy is, is kind of deceptively easy because the setting is our day-to-day worlds, right? It, it's, it's a city. It's, it's usually, uh, a city or something close to a city. So it's things that we recognize and people think, okay, I can use a microwave. I, I don't have to come up with this massive epic fantasy world. But the problem is, is that as soon as you put a vampire or you put um, a dragon or you put magic in there, well, if I've got microwaves and I've got cell phones and I've got, you know, my car and I've got, you know, the highway, then, um, you know, the I-5 or, or whatever, then I also need to, I, I I need to balance that somehow. And and that's one of the things I find fun about it because of, of my science background. I'm never trying to write I I, I whenever I start out, I usually I start with the character because I'm doing first person narrative. So I, I I started with Alex. Alex is a character. What is she doing? Let's go. Um but as I'm feeling as I'm writing in the story around her, well I need to explain it to myself how it's working. And um, some of that ends up on the pages. Uh, Because if I can't figure out a way for it to work that balances with everything else, then I've got to find a different solution. Um, So I... I'm never writing, well, for a few things. I, I, that arsenic thing that I read elsewhere and I'm like, okay, that's going in the novel. Um, and, and so I, I wrote that in and I'll, I'll see little things like that occasionally where I'll, I'll read something or in, you know, a science magazine or in a newspaper article. And I'm like, okay, that needs to go in. I want to use that. Um, but most, most of the plot, I'm writing around the character's adventure. It's just, I, I need all the science stuff. Um, the, the science stuff has got to get dragged in there because that's how I explain that. That's how I've been trained to interpret my world. And I, I love science. And that's to me, that's what makes that's, that's what turns this from a, well, here's another urban fantasy novel to here's something special. Here's something different. Here's something that makes you want to see where Christie's going, where she's taking you, where she's bringing me. Because a good book, a book takes you somewhere. 
a good book brings you somewhere. And these books, at least this book, and I'm assuming if I could take one book out of context from a series and it brings me somewhere, that this series is going to bring me somewhere. Because this writer, if she can take me out of context with one book in a series and do it, has done it with the series, is going to bring me somewhere. And one of the, when, if, if I may interject, Tom. How dare you? Sure, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting because I was reading through a list of your favorite authors, and one of which is Jim Butcher. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would compare some of how you deal with science with how Jim Butcher deals yeah, yeah. with science and magic. Yeah. One, of, one of my favorite scenes in one of the Jim Butcher novels, don't ask me which one because I've started to blur together, is where he's throwing up the uh, a, a shield, not Jim Butcher, but his main character. Although it'd be cool if Jim Butcher could cast magic. And it's the block of fireball. Now, the fireball explodes against the shield, which it should. But he remembers there's some science there. That heat has to go somewhere. That heat goes yeah. through the shield. It burns his hand. And that's the same thing I see with what you do here, is you have these things that can do these amazing things, but they're all very much based in, in something that makes it believable and is very grounded. And I just, I, lo I love the science in here and I love just the tales you tell here. It's just, it's, it's so much fun. And you've created, you've, you've taken, so there's, there's, when I look at fantasy, I look at it too. There's people that kind of take the dungeons and there's nothing wrong with Dungeons and Dragons. I'm, I'm a complete Dungeons and Dragons nerd. I admit that. Is, Absolutely. Is this my, Me too. Is this my, is this my weekly meeting? Hi, my name is Cameron and I'm a Dungeons and Dragons nerd. <laughs> but it's that you can take that format. And I've seen people, there's some people that I've read that do amazing work with those. That This is how a vampire works. This is how a goblin works. This is how everything works. And then there's people like you who just take the names and go, well, here's a ghoul. I'm going to throw it in here, but I'm going to rewrite how they work. Here's a zombie. I'm going to throw it in here, but I'm going to rewrite, you know, why it likes to eat brains. I'm going to throw in here, you know, a vampire. But you're, you're, you're taking these things. You're taking the names, but you're giving them new meanings. You're giving them definitions. And I love that because that's you could go the easy route, you know, in that you just take these predefined off the shelf. But you're kind of creating your own world. You know, even your elves feel a little bit different, a little bit, you know, you know, not quite uh, what we're used to. I mean, I can't quite say normal because <laughs> elves aren't normal. Last time I checked. But, you know, it's like. It's I don't know, Cam. You tell me. Um, I'm not supposed to say anything that might have something to do with banging on the inside of the U-Haul. So uh, that's we'll move right. on. Thank you. <laughs> All right. But that's, you know, that's what you do here is you create this unique world. And I love it when a fantasy author does that because you could fall back on, for lack of a better term, tropes, but you don't. And this is this is one of the things that really pulled me in is right down to your Nagas and your dragons. And I won't give away too much so that people that when they start reading book one, don't give, give, get um, get a big spoiler on book one. But, yeah, I mean, like your dragons right from the very beginning are very fascinating characters from everything that I can tell from your synopsis of the first three books and what I read about your dragon in this book. So, yeah, you do. It just I love what you do here. And it's, you know, I guess my question, because there's supposed to be a question in here, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Boy, he's, he's rubbing off on me way too well. And wow, that... look at you. You just babbled for a minute and a half and didn't ask a question at the end. I am really rubbing off on you. Woohoo! 
I'm really learning this stuff here. You still can't. You still can't go away anywhere. You still got to stick around. But anyway, uh, is you know, was this intentional? I mean, was this you know what? What made you decide not to go the easy route and you know create all these these things from scratch, other than just the fact that you would get to apply some very sound scientific principles to some very not so scientific things? I so I, I think it's a, a lot of it is just the interest component because when you're like you know if you're there, there's nothing wrong with with taking a trope and putting a new spin on it. That's not that there there's I. You know, I, there's a lot of books out there I love, um, you know, in video games I love where they've taken, um, you know, a typical elf or dragon or, or you know, one of those kinds of tropes and they put it just a slight change on it. Um, and it's, you know, that's great. But I, I think when I'm writing, there is a um, there's a creativity component that makes it really interesting. Um, you know, there's you know, if it's been done before, then it's, it makes it very difficult. Um, it, it, it makes it hard to get into it creatively. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's that real sort of interesting and fun thing of how do I do something new? You know, what can I do new? Is there a way I can do this new? Um, and going back to Jim Butcher, he does some wonderful stuff when it comes to, um, you know, he, he really does some wonderful stuff when it comes to uh, the vampires that he does. He, he does them in a very different way. But as, as you were saying, you know, Cameron, it's, it's, he comes up with a way to explain it, uh, which, which is really, you know, in, in a sciencey way that isn't the typical romanticized um, fantasy world. Yeah, not at and, all. And, and, and I, I find that, you know, and his his way of dealing with magic too, where it trashes his car, it trashes anything that happens to be electronic. Um, uh, ben Ar- uh, Aronovich uh, does that as well with his um uh, uh with his the I think the Rivers of London series, which I've been reading, and um, I, you know, it's 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 a different kind of of creative gymnastics, I think, um, that that appeals to me about it. And I, it, it's, it's gotta be my sciencey backgrounds coming in where it's like, all right, I've seen it done this way, but could I do this? Um, you know, and, uh, you know, or, or could I do something else? And, um, yeah, that's where things kind of, 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 of come from for me. So, so here's, here's my dilemma. Okay. <laughs> So, so here's here's my dilemma. I am halfway through book four of a series that I really now need to read books one, two, and three of. (laughs) Well, no, there's no dilemma here, though. We we will bring her. We will we will ask her to come on for book three. Then we'll read book three. Then we'll ask her to come on for book two. And then we'll read book two. Then we'll ask her to come (laughs) on for book one. And then. We'll read it backwards, tell me, and it'll make perfect sense to your mindset. I'm actually being serious. It might make sense to you and I. <laughs> We're just a little twisted that way. That's not the dilemma. Oh, okay. <laughs> the dilemma is she's re- she's written a bunch of other shit. Oh, yes, we haven't even I... gotten to talk about yet. 
and I slightly hinted at that in my in my minute and a half ramble, and she know she might have caught it as well. I did, but, yeah. The, the zombies. There aren't many zombies yeah. in, um, in the Owl series. I, I stayed away from those in in, in Owl. Uh, yeah. Though, though in the Owl books, this this is the other thing I really love about urban fantasy, and and I sort of have fun. Um, my sense of humor tends to veer into the more. Um, I, I tend to go very tongue in cheek and I, I, I tie, I, I tend to go on more of a sort of, I guess, a little jaded twist on things. And so one, one of the books, um, pretty sure it was a previous one where they're talking about magic and what it gets used for is, you know, Al sort of just adroitly points out that as soon as humans try and get a hold of magic, what's the first thing they do? Well, they bring, they bring dead things back. The very first thing we try to do, it's not clean up the environment, it's not save the world, it's not give yourself a million dollars, it's, hey, can we make something that's dead, not dead again? Um, and and I had fun writing that in. I, I, I think I, I, I did that in the second book, and I had a lot of fun writing that in, because I'm like, actually, if you look at human history, <laughs> and you look at traditionally and mythically what we try and use magic for it's usually has something to do with dead things and reanimating them and it's like you know you think at some point we've we've learned our lesson but it's those kinds of things too i love about urban fantasy it's you know what would we actually if we had this kind of magic you know um or, or if this kind of stuff existed, what would we actually try and do with it? Um, and I, I find that the epic fantasies is very much the save the world and the very noble ideas. And urban fantasy, more often than not, is okay. Um, you know, like in my my other series, you've hinted at um, my Kincaid Strange series. Um, well, you know, where she um, uh, she's a practitioner. My main character, Kincaid Strange, is a practitioner who um, communes with the dead for a living. Well. What are people actually going to use that for? Will disputes, um, you know, where somebody leads everything to the cats or the new girlfriend and the family gets upset about it. That's that's the main thing. But the other thing is, you know, a couple of teenagers need somebody to get them beer. And what better way than to get a zombie with ID to do it for them? Um you know, so it, it's the very, it's the mundane uses of the spectacular that I, I, I find a sense, I find humor in that. And um, I, I enjoy writing that a lot. My favorite quote from the book, and I'm struggling to find it now. So give me a second. Is it the same one as mine or different? Um, Cause I'll give her mine and then you can tell me if it's yours. And it's, it's from my favorite character. Please forgive me for this, Christy, but I love Artemis. If just for the, just for the easy, oh, yeah. wonderful, you know, he is just so fantastic. I mean, I don't know what he did in the past books that Al is so angry with him about. I suppose if I read the first three books, maybe I'd be angry with him too, but I just love how he's this wonderful foil to her character. And he has this great line. He says, you forget, he said, I'm the kind of supernatural who gets a good seat when Rome starts to burn. You start to recognize the signs, the little and the big. And I love that line. And yep, it, and that's it gets, the line. Yeah. And it gets repeated throughout the story a couple extra times, at least as far as I've gotten. And I think that is almost a theme in at least this book, if I'm guessing right, having yes. not quite finished it yet. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, you know, I actually, I loved writing Artemis. He, he was a great character. Um, I brought him in in book two, um, as, you know, sort of a, a, a foil like character. And, um, I, I really enjoy, um, you know, good, good and bad only, only go so far, you know, we sort of, you know, and I, I think this is kind of a global theme right now is, is, you know, good is never entirely good. It just doesn't exist. Um, and, and for me sort of growing up in the GI Joe era, the GI Joe cartoon era, you know, those types of, of, of messages, you know, the tr good superheroes, like with the justice league and stuff. Well, I think my entire generation has sort of grown up realizing none of that really exists. Um, there's always this, you know, and there, there's no such thing as good guys and bad guys as we were exposed to them as, as kids. But there is this gradient of, you know, why do people do things? You know, the, the villain never thinks they're a villain. Um, you know, it, it, it's a very personal interaction in, in, in my books, you know, um, because they are first person narrative. And so there's, I, I really enjoy exploring characters where it's like, you know, they're, they, they do bad things, but they've got a really good reason for it. And, and there's also that aspect too, of, you know, so many people write about the characters who always want to do good, noble things, but we've got this huge portion of the human race where that is just not the, you know, the, the, the underlying reason du jour of, of what they do on a daily basis. And, and I find those kinds of things interesting to explore. Um, you know, and, and Artemis is a great way. Artemis is a great character to do that with, you know, um, you, you think about history. There were probably a lot of people who got a seat, got a good seat to watch Rome burn. Um, because fatalistically they realized there's probably not much they could do about it. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and, and I find I, I found that interesting to have a character like that in this particular book. Well, guess what? You did. <laughs> <laughs> and I get the feeling that if I had my druthers, um, I'd have you on like once every couple of months just to see what the hell you were up to because I have the feeling you'd be up to no good and it would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Christy, um, th there's, there's serendipity and there's, uh, <clears throat> there, there's, there's something called Narapoya and Narapoya is the opposite of paranoia. Narapoya is the, 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 belief that people behind, are behind your back doing good things and it scares you. They're doing good <laughs> things for you. And Narapoyali, I believe that somebody did a good thing by pushing book four of your series into my life. And I can't thank him enough for it, but I'm not going to. I'm going to thank you for writing it and uh, bring it to us and hope that you'll bring some more. So on that note, and I believe it was a C sharp major, 
thank you so much for joining us tonight and just kind of dropping your stuff into our uh, into our listeners uh, lives and uh, on that note uh, thanks a lot for coming by tonight I'm not sure what we did but I think it was cool <laughs> thank you so I, much I for always, coming by seriously I always enjoy these, these kind I always enjoy these kinds of conversations and um, you know I, I, I tend to tend to go on but hey I'm a writer that's what we do um, but I, I actually I, I wanted to thank you guys for just putting up with having to given a fourth book in a series and I, I, I think that just that you guys managed to get as far as you did in the novel um, just uh, really really uh, goes to just your your goodwill towards authors and uh, patience with me <laughs> you know so I, when, you. I, when I first got the title You're welcome. I thought this could have been you know the, the guy in, in Florida who had the like the tigers and stuff and and was like you know was on his third husband and it was that thing and i was going no this can't be about that thank god it wasn't <laughs> seriously christy it was uber cool talking to you tonight and and this is some really cool stuff and i want to get to read some more of your stuff and i want to get to know you better and i want to get to talk to you more thank you so much for coming on sci-fi saturday night tonight Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Granite Con, Plastic City Comic Con, and the Upper Valley Comic Expo. We are also sponsored by Dreamforge Magazine, a superb magazine of fantasy and science fiction, and Comic Art House. Visit Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. And if you're looking for a really great gift book for that rapidly approaching semi-annual Fairbanks Melt Day celebration, consider a look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology, My Peculiar Family, now on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. My Peculiar Family, the audiobook, is available on Audible, because I'm not sure where else you could find it. Our intro production was provided by Rob Watts. For more of his amazing stuff, just look at robwattsonline.com and don't forget to try the Watts sauce we have. We love it. Our outro was provided by Lawrence Made Me Cry. You can find Lawrence Made Me Cry's music on Bandcamp and a whole lot of love to Jojo and Celine. Many thanks to the gang from his booking books. Thank you, Captain Cam. This is Dome saying, Terry and Jeannie shared pain as lessons, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Better things are coming, Stacy. Stay strong, Liz. So, unless it's daytime, good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.